Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh my dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers podcast with your host Didi Hussain. Before I introduce today's guest I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners they can find this show and all three seasons on all the major audio platforms and if you're tuning in and viewing via YouTube don't be cheeky remember to click subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Today's guest has joined us after three rescheduling appointments. He's someone who has been widely uh, requested by our viewers and listeners because there's a lot of um, mystery around him, I would say, in terms of this is his probably his first proper podcast interview while he has been on social media and growing at a very steady pace. His TikTok videos and YouTube content has been viewed by hundreds and thousands of people. He's a journalist, he's an activist, and he's a social commentator. And that's none other than brother Robert Carter. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thanks for having me, Dilly. Robert, how, how do you feel about that intro? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Better than I deserve, okay, I think. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> uh, is this the first proper podcast you've done? Yes, I would say so. I've done a few uh, odds and sods here and there. I mean, for example, a lot of people are interested in my journey to Islam story. Yeah. So everyone asked me about that. But uh, apart from that, no one actually knows much about me, like you say. Okay. And there's some juicy questions which are going to be answered today for the first time inshallah. ever inshallah viewers and listeners are going to clock that i'm wearing a shirt today you know i usually i'm in a tracksuit or in a relaxed t-shirt or something because i knew and i told jamal because robert's <laughs> going to rock up and he's going to outdress me and the brother who's going to come on after you sammy hamdi as well i knew you brothers were just going to rock up in a suit so i made an effort to actually put a shirt on today well i have to say i thought this podcast is fantastic it looks good i have to find an outfit to match it and i'm just not a casual guy dearly. you oh, know okay, me Casual guy. What can I say? Let me ask you a few questions just to get to know you, right? Um, I, don't, I don't want this to be like, a, you know, um, Mr. Parkinson's, this is your life kind of thing, but I just wanted the people to kind of get to know you. How old are you? 31. 31. Mashallah. I always have to pause and think for a sec because I never bother to count it anymore. Really? But yeah, I'm like 31. I thought you were going to turn around and say you have like a Hijri calculation <laughs> as well. So that's so pious of you. <laughs> Where were you born? Uh, 92 in uh, Enfield, which is in North London. So you're an actual born and bred Londoner? I am, proper. Okay. And I think like my family is so like, boring yeah. in the sense that they don't go anywhere. Yeah. I think I'm like sixth generation Enfieldian. Yeah. So like I've got this like long established heritage from Enfield. Wow. Uh, so yeah, my family doesn't travel very much. So yeah, proper Londoner, proper English. I think the last time my family traveled was when they were Vikings and they invaded this island, you know what I mean? Wow. Which is where my <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes come from. But apart from that, I don't think the family's done any traveling since. When did you become Muslim? Uh, I, I've been Muslim for at least 12, 13 years, something like that. So well-established, alhamdulillah. Uh, I was like uh, a teenager at the time. I think it was like 17, 18 or 19, around that time. That's when I took my Shahada. Mm. But uh, I was learning about Islam a couple of years before that. I think the first time I really began to open my heart to Islam, I was like 15, 16, something like that. Uh, what were the influences around that? Basically, it was when I was in secondary school. Uh, never had a Muslim friend, never really met a Muslim properly until before that time. And uh, I had like one friend at school who was Muslim, like, and he was a really good friend of mine. Do you want to give him a shout uh, out? Yeah, I, I've lost touch with him. Do you know how upsetting that is for me? I've lost touch with him now. His name was Zarif and he was from Mauritius initially. Okay. I haven't spoken to him for so many years, but he was, I have to credit him. He was the, uh, how I in, was introduced to Islam at all, because all I knew about Islam at the time was 9-11, uh, Al Qaeda, mm. and uh, you know, I was I was from a proper English background, uh, C of E, Church of England background, and you know, I have to say, my 
impression of Islam was really bad. It was like, oh, why are they coming here and changing our country? And why, what have we done yeah. to deserve 9-11? Do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, that was my view of Islam. And so he was there to help me open my eyes to all of those stupid misconception questions that you get non-Muslims ask, like, you know, what's your problem? What's with 9-11? Why are you guys freaking Al Qaeda and all that stuff? You know, those stupid to, questions. To, to some extent, though, you, you know, I used to wonder to myself, why do my fellow Brits um, of the Caucasian uh, flavor, <laughs> why do they have these questions? But brother, it's actually understandable. Yeah. When you're fed propaganda and lies yeah, and hate yeah, constantly around the web, from the newspapers, the radio, the TV, that's actually the end result, isn't it? The end result, yeah, you're yeah, going to have yeah. people ask such questions. Um, and this was before, remember, this was like in the 90s, uh, early uh, noughties, whatever yeah. you call it. And uh, we didn't have social media and access to information yeah, like yeah. we did. So whatever the BBC told us was like fact. There was no, I mean? there was no like mainstream alternative media. No, no, not at like all. Like now. Like gaining, for me, someone like me, gaining access to Muslim material was very difficult unless I like befriended a Muslim, which is exactly what happened with me. So, and plus you have to remember like the BNP were big in them days. I'm sure you Massive. remember uh, the EDL yep. came not long after that and those sorts. So if you're growing up in an English environment, uh, that's what you're exposed to. So, you know, I mean, there was one time where I, f I looked at the BNP probably favorably. Do you know what I mean? That's how it was back in the Understandable. day. Understandable. Uh, yeah, because I was like, they're, they're, they're representing me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but no, it's completely changed. Alhamdulillah, I've been guided away from that. Alhamdulillah. How strong was Christianity in your household? Um, not very strong, but it was there. Like, for example... Culturally, um, it was there. Culturally, it was there because I think, you know, the C of E is like England. You know, it's like everyone just sort of follows it, even though no one actually does anything with it. Yeah. Um, so, for example, when I was a kid, my mum took me to Sunday school and w there was actually a period she used to take me to church just to introduce me to that aspect, uh, just to see if it had any benefit on me. And it actually did. I mean, I was always religious and I grew up with a strong sense of there is a creator. There is a God out there. Uh, and when you die, you can go to heaven or hell. I always believed in that. Serious? I did. Yeah, I did. Wow. Uh, but the, the that's more than that's more than many cultural Christians. Exactly. Yeah. The, most people these days are agnostic. And in fact, I'd say my mom is actually agnostic as well. Even back then, she was probably agnostic. So what but, made you a bit different in the in the sense that you still believe there's a creator and then there's a accountability in the hereafter and stuff? What made you? Subhanallah, I don't know because my sisters never really uh, adopted it. They they are like spiritual, okay. uh, like my mum is, you okay. know, just generic agnostic. There's something out there, but they don't know what it is. It's, sure. it's like mother nature or something, okay. I don't know. But for me, Subhanallah, there was always something different. I always knew there is a God and I identified as Christian, but the Christianity is just a dead religion, man. It's it's like it's uncool. Do you know what I mean? Especially Church of England. You know, it, all it is it's is every Sunday. It's the deadest it's one. It's the yeah. deadest <laughs> one out of all the dead Christian uh, sects. Church of England is the deadest, yeah. and it's it's boring. It's uncool. It's just funny. I mean, his heritage isn't that though. Yeah, I know. The heritage of the Protestant movement was a bit more spicy. Exactly. Than yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's got a good uh, history behind it. But no, these days, it, I mean, when I used to go to church, it was just a bunch of old age pensioners meeting to gossip with the vicar over tea and biscuits. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's it's a very uncool religion. I mean, it's basically a gay religion now, isn't it? I mean, mm. <laughs> that's how bad it is. It's not yeah. cool at all. Uh, so Church of England wasn't doing anything for me. And I was really... Uh, distant from the church in that sense but I always had the faith but there was a huge gap in my in my life and I think that's why I was filling it with like 
nationalism and patriotism and you know th that's where a lot of english people are going these days is they're nationalistic because yeah. there ain't no religion to fill that gap of what who are we as english people who are we so they fall on the britishness identity and sure you know that's what it's all about i think as human beings bro uh one of the kind of innate instincts that we have is the survival instinct right mm -hmm. i'm hot i put i take clothes off i'm cold i put clothes on i'm hungry i eat yada 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 and, and one of the aspects the wider survival instincts to actually survive within groups and communities mm. so people have various tribalistic labels right i mean we're not shy to say that islam and the islamic identity and the muslim ummah is a very big tribe, the biggest and most noble tribes of all the tribes of Bani Adam at the moment and will be till the day of judgment. But everyone needs a tribe, right? The only thing is, wherever you ascribe to, uh, in most cases than not, will be something faulty, theologically, ideologically, epistemologically, all kinds of it, because it's not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this friend of yours, Tell me a bit more about those interactions. So, uh, a great guy. Uh, we became friends and we hit it off uh, straight away. He moved to the secondary school a few years in. Uh, and yeah, he was like uh, in a school full of like white people and stuff like that. And I was... Uh, was he bullied? Um, I don't think bully is the right word, but he was like a small guy from another part of the world. And, you know, he... I don't know, maybe he had trouble fitting in initially. He seemed like a shy guy. I was pretty shy initially too. So we we kind of uh, okay. connected on that sense. And initially, for the first like year or two, we were like great friends, but the religion didn't really play into the relationship at all. Uh, it was later on I started to ask him because I noticed he, like subhanAllah, he was a guy who would fast every Ramadan. He used to go to pray. Uh, he was a proper practicing brother in a, uh, surrounded by non-Muslim friends. Do you know what I mean? And he, mashallah, he kept up with it really, really, really well. I was really impressed by it. But uh, also, of course, it's going to make me asking questions. And I remember asking him about Osama bin Laden. Do you know what I mean? Did like, you, I was did, challenging did, him on that. Did you, did you ever see him pray? No, he okay. would go and pray because there were a few other Muslims in the school that he would pray with. Did uh, you find him weird? I didn't understand it, but I, I learned to respect it quite early on because I realized like he's eating his own food. He wouldn't mix and mingle when it comes because obviously he was eating his halal packed halal lunches, food, sure. do you know, what I mean? while the rest of us were eating the school lunches, which were probably full of haram. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember. But he had the principles and that's why I respect about him. But I didn't understand what it was about. I didn't know why he did it. Mm. And yeah, I thought it was weird. Probably I did think it was weird. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I would ask him about it and try and learn a bit more about it. And one thing that I always remember is he was is that principle and sticking to it and he's he was steadfast in his beliefs and I always respected him for that and it was when he started to handle all these misconceptions that I had about Islam and handle it well they started to open and soften my heart to it and because I liked and respected him so much it was natural that I wanted to learn about how he lived his life and uh, again there were things like for example his family were protective of him in the sense that they wouldn't let him go and play out after school hours, you know, if it, I used to have like friends around my house to watch a football game and all that type of stuff, and he wasn't allowed to come. I never knew why. So obviously, this is how I used to ask. And blatantly, it was his family protecting him from. Uh, what from did he do? But did he explain to you that that's what it was? In his own way, yes. Yeah. From what I remember, you offended. Uh, no, I wasn't because I knew it was from a good place. So I wasn't offended, but that's what? because I was really interested to learn why. Like, why you're not allowed to around my house, bro? And the fact is, I had a house of dogs. We I've, in those days, I wasn't Muslim, so I used to drink alcohol and watching a football match. Do you mm. know what I mean? So when he explained this stuff, like we don't believe that. Do mm. you know what I mean? I was like, okay, 
fair enough, this is a guy at principle and I understand why he's doing it. And then I'd ask him like, why don't you believe that? What's the problem with alcohol and this and that? And that's when, subhanAllah, he started doing a bit of dawah. Wicked. Didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't even think he knew where it was going to go. I don't think he imagined, you know, Rob was ever going to embrace his son. But it was the early steps. And this is, subhanAllah, like where I feel like Allah was protecting me uh, in a way, even back then. Yeah. Because there was an age where if... Uh, Islam didn't come into my life at that age. I would have gone on to done some things that I regret to this day. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, I was at a young age. So Islam caught me early. Alhamdulillah. What would your advice be to uh, many white Western folk who have, who work, study, or even have friends that are Muslims, but they find certain practices and, and, and beliefs or restrictions strange. So for example, alcohol is the most, the biggest one is alcohol, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. because it's so ingrained within uh, Western culture as a part of the social aspect, yeah, yeah. it's not even necessarily we drink to get drunk, it's just we drink. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dogs. So the fact that the Najasa, generally Gosh. speaking, of English this, people love their dogs, yeah, it? more this, than other yeah, human yeah. beings. Do you know what I mean? Well, there was there was a poll carried out during uh, the peak of the COVID, and they surveyed parents, and they said, "Who would you miss more if you had to go back to work?" And they said they missed their pets more than the kids. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there are so many English women as well. They would ditch their husband or their boyfriend or whatever their partner for their dog. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's either like it's me or the dog. They'll pick the dog every time. And there's recent studies to show that in America. America, there is more dogs per household than newborns. That's penalized crazy. So given that, so that was just two like anecdotal examples, but there's other stuff as well, right? Because the fact is that you can innocently go to your non-Muslim friend's house and he or she may have their girlfriend or boyfriend there. Mm -hmm. They're committing what we understand to be zina. Yes. Right? Yes, and yes. what Jews and Christians also commit to be zina, uh, mm -hmm. considered to be zina. But yes, exactly. so therefore we can't be around haram. Yes, exactly. So it's not just that we can't participate in haram, we can't be in the presence of haram in the sense that it's happening within our circle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How? What would your advice be to uh, white non-Muslim folk who have Muslim friends, or or they, or, or they are around Muslims but they find stuff a bit off key and weird, understandably? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has happened because obviously I have non-Muslim family still, and this kind of issue comes up from time to time. You know, when uh, I'm practicing Islam a certain way, and they see it and they're like, "Well, why are you doing that? Why don't you do that?" And this and that. So. What I, the best way I describe it to people is uh, Islam's advice, even the hard stuff like fasting and not eating certain foods and this and that, it's for our benefits, subhanAllah. Either, obviously Allah ordered it of us of to do, that's why we do it. That's the bottom line reason. But actually when you look at a lot of the things that Allah commands of us, including the difficult stuff, there are benefits to us in it, subhanAllah. There's a wisdom to of it. Course. Praying, it's like therapeutic. And it's good for the body. Fasting is fantastic for the body as well. And they, they research this and find out now there are fasting diets, which non-Muslims even do. Mm -hmm. They're imitating us in that sense. So actually, when people look at us and go, why do you do that for? Your religion's about peace and uh, supposed to be manageable. Why is Allah asking you to fast, not drink food or water for an entire month? And have intimacy during the daylight and stuff like stuff this. Stuff like this where they yeah. can't understand. Why are you banned from alcohol? Why are you banned from eating pork and swine and all this type of stuff? Well, actually, subhanAllah, there's a benefit for it. And even if you look at non-Muslim studies on the subject, pork is like filthy meat. 
Uh, it's really unhealthy for you. Alcohol does all sorts of horrific stuff to not just your body, but it's to a fast society as well. It's a fast track to heart disease, bro. A fast track to heart, heart disease. disease uh, the the stress it has on the NHS, for yeah. example. Alcohol uh, is people, one. Of the, well, alcohol is what is the single long biggest stress on the NHS. Alcohol exactly. related diseases, illnesses, attacks, incidents. It's a strain on the police. Yep, it's a strain on society. People get killed because they get beaten to death by some drunk in the street totally avoidable crimes are committed and it's all it, it, like literally it's for your it's for your benefit and these are non-muslim arguments by non-muslim studies 100%. so for, don't, don't challenge me on how we live if you just look at how muslim societies are like stable muslim societies that haven't been afflicted by war statistics on crime statistics on mental health statistics on uh child uh, how ch children coming uh, pregnancy outside of marriage they're all really low and it's because islam is a uh, uh, an, an ideology which works it makes sense it's practical and it's because when the creator uh, gave us islam it's because he created us and it's for our benefit and it's it's designed for us even the hard stuff you know it's tough love you Allah puts rules on us in order to make our society work and if you just look at how Islam's spreading and how Muslim community in the absence of civilization as well absence of civilization the way I see it is it's natural to yeah. be Muslim yeah. it's literally natural and if you argue it from that perspective sometimes they turn around and go huh do you know what you're right I drink alcohol but I recognize that alcohol's impact on society is incredibly negative yeah. I don't know why I do it that's the best answer I get sometimes and that's the only way you can argue because if you just quote the Quran, uh, you know, or, or if you just say, well, Allah tells us to do it, that's why I do it. Mm. They're never going to understand because mm. they at that stage don't follow the Quran or, or Allah's command. So if you just use it, that's the best way from my experience. Another th another thing that's important for obviously non-Muslim viewers and listeners to understand is that God also tells us in the Quran, Allah tells us in the Quran that he does not burden us with more than what we can handle. Yes. So whether it is the fasting, whether it is the five prayers, whether it is your two and a half percent of your wealth, if you are eligible to give zakah and stuff like this, it is all we can handle, even to the extent of calamities and natural disasters. These are things which we overcome with the permission of Allah. And there is no test that Muslims can't, human beings cannot handle that we can't overcome. Um, how old were you took your shahada? That is a good question. I was around 17, 18, something like that. I was around, I was around that age. So young, but not too young. Tell me the highlight milestone events leading up to the Shahada. So uh, basically I was, uh, by this stage, I had researched about Islam for a couple of years. Uh, I'd been introduced to the Quran. Uh, I'd been introduced to the story of the Prophet وسلم, and uh, his great example and at this stage i was really contemplating okay this sounds like something that really interests me and for quite some time leading up to my shahada i was contemplating whether i should give islam a go whether i'd be up for it you know how my family think about that and alhamdulillah around that time i was interested to make friends with more muslims so my muslim family circle uh, my muslim friend circle grew and uh, that's when i decided you know what i'm gonna give it a go see how it goes and inshallah if it works i'm just going to stay with it uh, but i was very nervous but it was uh it was something which i included my family in because i knew if i didn't if i did it like secretly on the side and didn't tell anyone uh i knew that's the, the worst way to do it because my family's going to think the worst yeah, yeah so uh when i decided to take my shahada mm. there was a bit of preparation in advance because i had to go to the right uh, uh to do it i had to do it with friends and also I wanted to bring my mum along, my sister came and all that type of stuff. So it was a big deal for me. But alhamdulillah, I did it, 
happiest day of my life and I've never looked back since. So, you know, building up to, you know, you making that final decision that I'm going to take the shahada, this is the truth. I'm going to, I'm going to give this going, I'm going to commit to it. Were there any issues of contention? Were there any issues that you had, you had any contentions uh, over in terms of beliefs, values, practice of the faith, which you were like, this, some, something's not sitting right with me. Because I've heard that a lot of uh, new Muslims and reverse and converse, whichever label you, you like to use, they, sometimes they have cultural obstacles. Yeah, yeah. So more to do with uh, abandonment from family or just dramas with the family trying to yeah. explain that why have you ultimately ascribed to a religion that's commonly associated with bloody terrorism. Yeah, let's be, yeah, let's yeah, be honest yeah. about it, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the sad reality of it. How do you, obviously, when it comes to Hindu converse, Sikh converse, that's different because there's a cultural aspect in terms of yes. being subconscious. So, but being a white Westerner, yeah. ultimately, one of the biggest things that you have to deal with is having to explain to your family that if you decide to share it with them, that why you've accepted this deen, right? So besides the cultural obstacle, did you have any issues with the religion itself before you accepted it? If I had some issues, it would have been uh, some of the political stuff that was going on. Okay. Um, I was very excited about the religion by this stage. So I think a lot of the doubts from a religious perspective have been dealt with. And uh, I kind of felt like a Muslim at that time. Like I was already distancing myself from, you know, swine and stuff like that because I'd been convinced by then of, of how uh, bad it is and why you shouldn't consume it and that type of thing. So I was already beginning to practice Islam and I felt like in my heart I probably already was a Muslim before my Shahada mm. uh, but this was about making it public and the kind of guy I am I'm not a black and white guy normally I like to either do it or don't do it and when I do it I want it announced I want everyone to know I want to do it in front of everyone so I think the Shahada was actually more about just making it public I probably was already Muslim by then Inshallah, you know, I, I, obviously Allah knows what's in your heart. I think by that stage I'd already embraced the religion, but I just needed to make that solid, tangible commitment in order so that I mentally was like, okay, now let's get on with it. Let's get it done. My family, by that point, they have to accept it because it's it's happened. And I included them, so that helped. So it was about... Was there, maybe, any, was there any drama with the family? Uh, drama with the family. There has been some, not straight away, but I think... Um, because the way we are, we I come from a, an English background, which is all about the stiff upper lip. I don't know if everyone understands that term, but it's about not really being open and honest about your feelings. Do you know what I mean? And that's the background hold, I come just, from. Just holding it down. Holding it down. That's something which I have been dealing with uh, for many years. And my family are very much like that. So I think a lot of things were thought and felt. That's not bad quality, Not bad quality. That's a noble quality that's held families together I to some so. extent. But sometimes yeah. obviously it can get problematic when you don't it address can. nothing. Exactly. And yeah. that's actually, I think with this issue, that's yeah. exactly the problem. Things weren't dealt with initially and they came out later on. So, like, for example, I had an auntie who uh, freaking was worried that I was radicalizing her son, my oh. cousin. And she called me a freaking terrorist one oh, day oh uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> that, that was uh, over a family dinner, actually, okay. which didn't end very well. Uh, I think after I got married, which was a couple of years ago, there was a bit of drama because... For some members of my family, it was okay. Rob's gone and been a Muslim. He's a Muslim now. Yeah. But I was doing it in my own time, in my own space. I'd fast by myself. Yeah. No one, I wasn't, Islam wasn't on them. So you weren't inconveniencing anyone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm doing me and they're happy with me to do me. I'm not expecting everyone to change because of me. And exactly, stuff. Okay. exactly. Uh, but that's a massive thing, right? Yeah. The accommodation of a new member of your family who's accepted a, a new faith that has so many let's be frank about so many laws and there's a fair amount of do's and don'ts yes which will naturally clash 
you know, to be a burden on your your non-Muslim family, mm, mm, mm. To, for them to not live up to your Islamic expectations is a massive ask and can be unjust at sometimes. Yes. So you're saying you never did that? No. So I, I was very soft on it, especially when I deal with my family, because I was always concerned that they would, it was, it, they wouldn't understand, and mm. I just didn't know how to navigate it. Um, I'd never had because I, I come from a broken home as well, so I didn't have a dad in the scene so i never knew how to sort of be a man in that sense and just kind of like you're the only brother only yeah son. no brothers nothing like that uh i'm just in a household of women when was so, the, when was your last recollection of your father should i mind me asking? uh I, I used to see him a lot until um i was like a young teen uh, early teenager um the last conversation i had with the guy was like he called me and was like uh if you need me i'm here just let me know and okay. i was like okay and then i didn't need him so I never called him, he never called me. And since then we haven't spoken, it's been years. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of guy he is. But yeah, when we were young, uh, we used to like go around there once a week, see him on a Sunday mm. and that type of thing and hang out. So I remember him very well, but deadbeat dad, 100%, deadbeat dad, massive disappointment. He, I don't even think he knows I'm a Muslim unless he's seen me somewhere online. Uh, that's how bad it is. So I never had that male figure in my life. Is there ever a feeling, sorry, I'm just divulging a bit. Um, uh, is there a feeling of rekindling or reconnecting? reestablishing from an islamic standpoint uh there is pressure in that sense because yes i know obviously because, you should be good to your parents because in islam we have such a precedence uh, even if your parents are non-muslims they mm. still require justice love and care yes and it's something that's even exactly. even the early converts to islam were told that about their disbelieving pagan fathers yeah. and families yes yes um, i'm just asking in terms of in terms of reflection is that something you ever think about yeah i think about it all the time but the problem is you know uh uh long it's I mean, I, I have a family now, I have obligations on them and uh, I'm trying to be a success in this life and devote myself to Islam and to my family. Uh, I don't have time for time wasters. Okay. Now that's going to be very hard for some people to accept. Like, how could he say that about his dad or whatever? But the fact is, if my dad has no interest in me, I'm his son, I'm his only son and he has no interest in me. Why the heck should I chase him? Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I've got kids who actually do love me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I've got prioritize them that's my thing where i'm gonna go i don't know if he contacted me am i gonna turn him away i don't know the answer to that maybe not maybe i am i don't know can we at least but make the do, fact is can we at least make the offer with guidance to islam i mean <laughs> you can if you want i mean i don't know how far that's gonna go but um obviously i want everyone to be muslim including course, I mean. my family and stuff like that so but yeah these are questions which again the stiff upper lip I, i've just ignored it um I don't know. It, I've left it to Allah to guide me on that. But um, but back to those cu but back to those cultural obstacles and encounters when you first became Muslim. How was your, what was your first Christmas like? How, how did you do with Christmas? Yeah, uh, basically, yeah. That's the the awkward thing. It's like Christmas is still going on, and it's a big part of the year. My family doesn't celebrate from a religious perspective, but obviously the tree goes up, and family comes round, and the exchange of gifts happened. And it took me a while to really, um, you know, adopt Islam a hundred percent especially when you just convert to sure. Islam it takes time of course absolutely and uh, yeah there were Christmases where I would spend time with the family uh, even till quite recently I'd still go around now I think since I've been married and I have kids now and now I'm a dad and I have a right to teach my kids sure, Islam absolutely. this is where I've alhamdulillah I've reached a new stage of implementing Islam where it's like okay now I've got to make sure that I don't mislead my family 
because okay i get it my family are non-muslim so there are times where i can be in this environment which you know it's not I right down. but i can hold it down yeah. i know i'm at no risk i'm cemented in islam but my kids i don't want them exposed to something which is going to take them away from islam so now is the time where we've got to implement islam 100 percent, 110 percent and we can't expose them to things like christmas if they think Christmas is more fun than Ramadan, there's a big problem big there. Problem. Do you know what I mean? That's the month. That's big the problem. the month where there's uh, songs and caroling and gifts and, and all this type of stuff. Food and it's like no, 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 no. I want my kids to look at Ramadan and Eid, Eid as the main time of the year when they celebrate and engage and you know do do everything that they need to do. Not Christmas, not December, and all this rubbish stuff. So this is where I'm going to be more strict, inshallah. But they're still young, so it's not a problem right now. But now is the time where, okay, maybe I'm going to avoid Christmas. Do you know what I mean? And not engage with it at all. Wish them well on text or whatever. But, you know, we, you want to celebrate a religious occasion, you can come around for Eid. And we can do some gift giving there, for example. Mm. Gift giving on Christmas in front of the kids, no. At what point... After your Shahada, did you encounter the various uh, options, theological, sectarian, political, otherwise, that exist within the Muslim market? Basically, at what point were you exposed to different groups? Uh, or any groups? Or, or, or realised that there are groups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty early on. And it was a big shock for me. Because okay. you have to realise, when I came into Islam, I was really innocent and naive of all of this. Yeah. This didn't hit me till afterwards. And I'd actually... Uh, become surrounded like uh, my the, the guy who introduced me to Islam initially Zarif he was Sunni from Mauritius okay he was like my only Muslim friend at that time years later when I was like opening up to Muslims and befriending more people and leaving secondary school I began actually to start meeting and greeting and surrounding myself with Shia Muslims okay. from places like Lebanon and this and that without I didn't even know but that was the, the, the reality of it and so once I took my Shahada that's when obviously brothers are starting to wonder okay where's he going is he going our way or the other way should we like drag him this way and that's when i started to be introduced to it brothers would come to me and say okay now you're muslim mashallah now how are you going to pray you know there's a thing called shia there's a thing called sunni and, yeah. this and, that. and i'm like oh okay what's all this yeah it's like okay after the prophet died things happen so politics, this and that. Listen, yeah? yeah they're like don't worry about the details just like <laughs> <laughs> just like some stuff happened in it uh and then you've either got to do this or that okay. uh but alhamdulillah the people i was with were, had good intentions so they were like look pray how you want some pray like this some pray like this i'll pray like this you follow me but do whatever you want and inshallah whatever way it falls it falls what muslim speakers you used to listen to in the early days Early days, Ahmadidat. Okay, so there's four years between us. Okay, so Ahmadidat, yeah. Zakir Naik. Ahmadidat, big time. Uh, Zakir Naik, less so, but okay. yes, I did hear about him. I think he was on Peace TV at the time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I used to hear a bit of him. Uh, when things began to go in the Shia direction, yep. because I had Shias as yeah. well as Sunnis battling it out for my soul or whatever, I was also uh, introduced to uh, the likes of... Uh, Amar Nakshwani, okay. big time Shia England speaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, his likes. Okay. So I had like a, a healthy pool of different opinions, I'd say. It's crazy because um, he's been on a journey himself. Yusuf Estes. Yusuf Estes, wow. Uh, I was a big, I'm a, I still like him a lot. Okay. I like yeah. him a lot. Uh, yeah, a convert to Islam. No, I was thinking Estes and Nakshwani. I know, it's crazy, that's, isn't that's it? Nice, it's crazy. But this all happens. It's, it's a bit grey because I'm trying to remember back. So it was on like, it, it's, it evolved over time. Uh, but these are all the early influences, I guess when I was trying to figure out 
what is going on here? What is Shia and Sunni? Was and it, was it was these it, types of people I was introduced to? And was there a point ever where you did decide I am this? Yes, absolutely. When so, was that? Uh, I would say probably after the first year of my Shahada. So uh, you must have had a strong Shi'i influence in terms yeah. of friends. Yes, okay. absolutely. It was gravitating in that direction. And because the thing is, now I'd entered into Islam and, and these were my influences. Uh, unlike, because this is the luxury of being born Muslim. Yeah. You have your family, you have your madhab. Yeah. And that's it. You can either stay with that happily. You're born into it and you just follow. You, you just can, adopt. You can. That's yeah. the default. Yeah. If you become learned and you're interested, you can, then you change scholar, things, yeah. you can figure out what you want to yeah. do and you have yeah. freedom to choose. Yeah. But when you're not born into a Muslim household, yeah. what are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? So you just kind of fall wherever your friends are falling. You trust someone, ideally the person who did shahad with you, and that's it. And then that's how I learned Islam. I went in. That's what the Islam was shown to me. So I thought, okay, I'm happy with this. They seem happy. They're praying. They're religious. They know what they're talking about. I'm going to do what they're doing. And it went the Shia route. So did you become a 12 Shia? Yes. And for how many years were you a 12 Shia? Uh, quite a few years. I mean, I would say uh, I started to question my Islamic school, if you like, probably like five years ago. That was when the initial questioning, like, there's something not right here that I'm not happy with. So, yeah, for many years I was uh, a, a Shia. And um, the, the fact is I was uh, quite established. It reached a point because you go through a zealot phase when you've yeah. recently converted to Islam. Mm. You're so keen, you're so yeah. passionate that you like uh, try to be more Muslim than Muslims. Do you know what I mean? More mm. more Catholic than the Pope, yeah, as they yeah. say. <laughs> uh, and because I was introduced to Shiism, there was a time where I was more Shia than Muslim. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. That's how I so identified it became an myself. Identity. It was a big part of my identity for many years. Yeah, big part um, of my identity. Were you ever in gatherings where the Sahaba were cursed? Gatherings. Where the Sahaba were cursed? I wouldn't say gatherings, but I've been hanging around with people who are insulting them, yeah. And, and have they been insulted in front of your face, like in your presence? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, 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 so how did that make you feel in terms of like, okay, I've ascribed to this school, this madhab or manhaj or, or this theology, and there's so many of these other Muslims who revered these guys. Did you ever wonder about these things? Yes, I did. Uh, and because I enjoy history, I found this all very fascinating, to be okay. honest with you. So uh, obviously uh, someone born Sunni would hear this and would be offended initially straight away from the get-go, which is understandable. But for someone like me, who this was all new to him, I was just fascinated. Like, okay, there's a dispute here. Where's the dispute come from? Oh, uh, there was uh, beefs between the Sahaba. There were wars fought after the Prophet died between Muslims, fitness, major yeah, fitness. Yeah. This is all very fascinating. And so I found it as an opportunity to read about... It would be for a new Muslim. I don't, was, I don't think uh, yeah. any born Muslim should be surprised that a new Muslim finds the history of Islam fascinating. If anything, was, that, should, yeah. that should urge us and encourage us to reconnect with our history, the good, exactly. bad and the ugly of it. I'm happy and proud to say that I was never really into the whole uh, cursing thing, even as a, a Shia. Um, it, it's not something that interested me. So, you know, uh, insulting, mocking or denigrating the, the wives of the prophets never interested me. So it's never been what a part self of What about self-flagellation? Uh, alhamdulillah, I've never done anything like that. And that's something which even early on I found strange and hard to accept. Did you ever question, did you ever question it? Uh, yes, absolutely. But because it's a dispute within Shiism itself, yes. not all Shias agree and do yes. it. So. Okay there was still the accommodation for me i wasn't to not do it to not do it okay. yeah exactly because uh, it's a minority thing within a minority 
And uh, yeah, absolutely. Some shias hate it like as much as Sunnis do. They think it's ridiculous and stupid and an innovation and brought in from outside. But then there are obviously, I, I knew people who did do it and were proud of it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, the funny thing is because there's an argument in defense of it, like, well, we hit ourselves or whatever, um, but at least we're not blowing ourselves up and killing other people. Do you see what I mean? So that's the kind of thing I was exposed to. Um, and I, at the time I was like, okay, makes mm. sense. You know, cause that again, you have to remember I was in a little bubble. Yeah. I hadn't been exposed. That is so crazy to I, say that. Man. Yeah, I know, but it's that, that's a big argument that was made, especially at the time. Uh, that means they were saying that, that means they were, whoever was saying this to you was saying that Sunnis blow themselves up because of their yeah, religion. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that I was exposed to. And, you know, at the time, that's all I knew. So, tell me, I knew. so, so tell me a bit about your zealous period, because if you're not um, participating in self-flagellation no, and, and you're not cursing the Sahaba, because no. uh, these are two, two examples of where uh, for some Shia, their zealousness uh, is outwardly shown. So if you weren't mm. doing those two things, where was your zealous and passion being manifested? Um, Where was it showing? What was your output? So obviously, uh, love for the Atul Bayt, belief in Imama, okay. uh, the infallibility and that type of stuff. Um, I would say uh, debating with Sunnis about the succession of, of uh, leadership after the Prophet. Okay. That was like the main focus um, of, of where I was at and where I would maybe argue with you about it. Um, and yeah, I just... As a convert, you believe what you've converted to is, is the True. right way and that everything else is wrong and that everyone should join you, uh, that everyone should join you. That's that's what I believed. Uh, and so I would argue with Sunnis and say, well, your your understanding of the leadership is, uh, incorrect. is, is incorrect. Why are you not following the Atul Bayt in the way we do? Why do you not respect them and blah, blah, blah. So it was more centered around love and admiration for the Atul Bayt. Do you now... 12 or 15 years later do you now understand that there is an entire different understanding of Ahlul Bayt according to Ahlul Sunnah yes that's so, far wider and encompassing so I would say. what's happened in the past few last I'd say six years something like that is I've been exposed to Sunni Islam a lot more because of the work I do I'm out there meeting and greeting Muslims from all different backgrounds different cultures different nationalities different sects and Alhamdulillah I've built up a much stronger understanding of uh, the Ummah and what the beliefs of a much wider spectrum of Muslims is, mm. including uh, Atul Sunnah, which is the, the majority um, of Islam. So uh, alhamdulillah, my understanding of what Sunnis believe uh, about what happened historically, also their beliefs regarding the Atul Bayt and the Sahaba and uh, all that type of stuff has improved tremendously. And that's what really, again, opened my heart to uh, questioning what I have learned, what I taught, what I believe as well as a Shia. Uh, and it's interesting because I was introduced to Islam by a Sunni. And then again, I'm being introduced to another uh, understanding of Islam by Sunnis as well. Mm. And both times, that's when my heart was opened up. And again, I was having the same type of pondering where I was like, is what I believe now, what I actually think is the right, is right. Mm. And uh, it evolved from there, basically. Were you ever conflicted in terms of your work as a journal journalist who was covering Muslim-related issues? Um, actually, no, this is what I want to ask. Were you ever a... I don't like reason the word seller. It seems quite rough. But were you ever a proud Shia advocate, but also a journalist at the same time? Was there ever a period where you were both? 
because ultimately what I want to what I want to ask you is that I would be lying to me. I'm, I would be lying mm. to myself if I said that my pan-Islamic view of the world doesn't influence my journalism. Yeah, my Islamic identity and my beliefs, my morals, and my outlook is essentially shaped shaped by my deen or I, how I understand my deen. Right. Yeah. So, and that naturally influences journalism. I've always said this on record that anyone who thinks that five pillars isn't propaganda, mm. you're also wrong because every media outlet mm -hmm. is propaganda. It mm. has an outlook, it has an agenda, it has a worldview. And for us at five pillars, it's uh, normative Sunni Islam. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So naturally, it doesn't dictate how we interpret events, but it certainly gives us a take. It definitely shapes and influences how we see the world or at least how we'd like to see the world in terms mm -hmm. of solution. Were you ever influenced? Did your theology ever influence your journalism? Uh, yeah, probably in the early, like, because uh, when I, I would say I didn't become a proper journalist till about six, seven years ago. I was doing media work, like as a presenter on religious programming, mm. which were like uh, Shia religious programming, yep. stuff like that. But became I didn't become really politically active uh and and a proper journalist uh till probably about six seven years ago so i think in the early year or two yes probably but in that time again i was still stuck in this bubble where i was mostly focused on issues concerning my community at the time which was the shia muslim community uh it was more recently that i decided you know what there's there's a wider there's a wider ummah out there that i want to know and to learn about uh, Roshan, the editor of Five Pillars, uh, influenced me a lot around that time. Uh, he had a different worldview and different understanding of things, and he he is very worldly experienced. He's been Definitely. across the Ummah. He's Definitely. one of the most he's the he's the most experienced journalist I've ever met, he's, and he's a big a big guide for me. I know the mad thing is, I think sometimes not sometimes many times Roshan doesn't get the kudos that he actually deserves. No, right? not this is, at all. This, this yeah. is an individual who is so well traveled. Yeah, he when he done war coverage and he's you know covered civil wars, invasions, Arab Spring. He doesn't go there and live in these areas when he's on the field as a Western journalist. He literally moves with the players and the stakeholders on the ground. Um, and then, and the most recent example of it is his two reports from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that you mentioned Roshan because in my ten year relationship with him, um, in Five Pillars, and I knew him for two three years before that. We have never ever had a major bony or a fallout or or or, or, or like a, a, a dividing issue. Came close, <laughs> uh, and that issue was Syria. He pushes everyone's buttons from yeah. time to time, doesn't he? But yeah, and I push his at times as well. He's just, you know, his his grey hairs aren't there for no reason. I tell you that much. But what I was going to say was Syria was a could have been a dividing issue for me and Russia. Yeah, for sure. Because um, I did my I did a training program at Press TV. Mm. I did freelance work for Press TV uh, when the Arab Spring kicked off. Um, you know, Press TV was the only um, alternative media outlet that was calling the uprisings Islamic Awakening. Yeah. No, other, not even Al Jazeera. None of the other channels were were giving the kind of Islamic slant to the uprising. And that's that's a given because it's the whole kind of seventy nine revolutionary take on on these regimes that are seen as uh, stooges of the imperialist West, right? Yeah. But when Syria kicked off. That was a defining moment for me because I, was like, I can't, I can't associate with uh, Iran uh, because of this and that. And that, so, so for me personally, that does, and for many Sunnis who actually loved Iran, yeah, saw them as 
it, not a theological example to say, but definitely a, a political and a revolutionary model to follow. Anyone who denies this would be lying, right? That the effects of the 79 revolution didn't influence uh, revivalist movements in the Sunni world thereafter. Um, and Roshan has always said, at least in the back then, that look, I am a Sunni. I was always a Sunni, but in terms of political alliance or in terms of political leanings, it's Iran. Because of its anti-imperialist, anti-Western stances, its position on Palestine and so forth. And we should always debate the kind of like veracity of these claims, right? Mm. How truly pro-Palestine is Iran, right? Yeah, let's, put yeah. the, let's put the handful of Fajr missiles aside to Hamas. How pro-Palestine are they, right? How much are they in terms of unity? So me and Russia should always debate. But Syria was an issue because Russia ultimately at the time saw that this was a NATO-led mm. uh, invasion to destabilize at the time, what he believed and many thought was an anti-imperialist state in, the, in, in terms of the Ba'athist Assad regime, um, which was pro-Palestine, was helping the resistance there and so forth. So this was uh, something that ultimately would benefit the West and Israel, right? Mm. And, and therefore, that's why so many players got involved. Me and Russian even had a written article, the pro and against jihad in Syria. It's mm. there in 2014. You just Google Russian Dili jihad debate. Mm. It's there written. Uh, and I was of the position that this is something uh, that we should be optimistic about. This is something which, you know, textually in the Quran and Sunnah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet spoke about the people of Asham, people of Damascus, mm. they'll be blessed on holy wars against mm. tyranny and injustice. And I think that was the sentiments of the wider Sunni world, right? The, the, the sentiment of the wider Sunni world was that Mursi has fallen, may Allah have mercy on him. Yemen uh, is, a, is a mess. Tunisia, they're going for the democratic process. Libya, when we saw what happened there, it has to be Syria. So that was a nearly a, a dividing issue between me and Russia to the mm. extent where we had to purposely not censor Syria coverage, but there was definitely an awareness and a sensitivity that this was a minefield, right? Yeah. How was it for you? Yeah, obviously I was a bit safer in that sense because... You were in a safe uh, I, bubble. Yeah, exactly. I was in a, a bubble where everyone around me felt a certain way and I just fell in line with that. Did you feel uh, that it was a Western-backed Zionist, Takfiri, Wahhabist uh, agenda to... Yeah, there was the, there's the anti-imperialist argument on Syria, which I was a part of. What about the sectarian um, angle? The, the sectarianism, yes, exactly. So the sectarian stuff as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So obviously I was... Uh, I joined Press TV not before the Syrian war, after it had been going on for maybe a year or two. So it was like really, uh, it, you know, in the thick of it by then, peak of it, yeah. the peak of it. And um, Iran was very much, um, it, their editorial line was obviously sympathetic to of course. Damascus. And uh, at that stage, I think Damascus was like, panicking because they were basically losing the war, right? Yeah. Uh, around I'm, that time. I'm, so I'm, I mean, the resistance groups were knocking on the doors of Damascus. That's after right. 2013. Yeah. I think exactly. things turned when ISIS got involved. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, around that time, uh, I think the editorial line was really hot on criticizing uh, the other side simply yep. because they were losing, right? And Iran started to get very heavily involved, directly involved. They Don't literally involved, assisted Damascus to, to hit to hit back. Russia started getting involved after that. And it just turned into, it was already a mess. And it just turned even worse. It became way more sectarian because it was literally Shia Iran versus like uh, the, the Sunni, Sunni opposition. Yeah. And that's how many people were spinning it. And I remember how it rippled out even here, like you Muslims, neighbors and brothers and sisters who, you know, living side by side with no issue before. 
uh, Britain's streets became uh, a sectarian hotbed as well, mm-hmm. and it divided people very badly. So, so after I fell in line, obviously with uh, Iran's editorial on this, uh, I said things then which right now I certainly don't agree with. But I realised pretty early on that it's a mess. This is a fitna. It's a massive problem, and. W- w- what I'll tell you is when I realized that something was wrong here with where I was at with my commentary on Syria was uh, there was a lot of people who were supporting uh, Assad, for example, non-Muslims in Europe who on other days were expressing is blatantly Islamophobic opinions about immigrants and mm. migrants and refugees and stuff like What's that. What's the point, Bashar? But yes, absolutely. Okay. So you had non-Muslim right-wingers who were supporting this secular uh, dictator in yeah. Syria. Because uh, they're anti-imperialist. Exactly, because they're anti-imperialist and even left-wingers as well yep. uh, from the anti-imperialism side were supporting it because the way they saw it was it's a secular guy who the West could be a friend with killing uh, extremist Muslims on the ground. And those extremist Sunni Muslims... Sunni Muslim nut jobs. Sunni Muslim nut jobs. But even then, that same rhetoric was being applied to refugees fleeing Syria, entering into Europe, yep. who were being drowned in the Mediterranean. Yep. They were the same... Extremists who need to be stopped from entering to Europe because they're all potential terrorists. And I was like, hang on a minute, do I really want to be on the side of these nutters who hate Muslims and hate Islam ultimately uh, when it comes to the Syria thing? And I realized, you know what? I'm well out of my lane here. I've never even been to Syria and I'm commenting on it. And this is a dirty, filthy war with a lot of innocent blood on its hand, Muslim innocent blood on its hands. And I eventually got to the, the, the enlightened stage where I just don't want anything to do with it. Everyone in this situation is a loser, except freaking non-Muslims mm. who hate Islam in, in Europe and elsewhere, who are sitting there laughing on as this fitna continues. So since then, I've distanced myself from it. I regret a lot of the things that I've said about it in the past. But you have to remember, I was a young guy then who was recently politically active. <laughs> I'd never witnessed a fitna of this level in my life until that point. Mm. And it was a massive learning stage for me. Will I make the same mistake again? Inshallah, no. Inshallah. Because I, I, I learned from those mistakes. Rosh, until this day, uh, in very, very small fringe pockets of X and Twitter and, and social media, we'll, we'll still get accused of being an Iranian agent and a shill because because the extensive years of work that he did at Press TV and he wrote about it in his book. Mm. Um, and Roshan was never shy about that. Yeah. Roshan being a documentary and filmmaker and producer at Press TV was something that was known. And, and, and an internal rule that we always had in Five Pillars that that would never, ever editorially influence the output of Five Pillars. I certainly would never have allowed it. Mm. Um, but it was something that we understood were two very different. But even till today, he still gets accused of it. Mm. Uh, and I know it's something that you get accused of as well uh, on, on social media at times from, from pockets of uh, folk uh, X. I find it weird calling Twitter X. This is the first time he is. He just <laughs> sounds wrong, but on Twitter. So let me just ask you, bro. Are you an Iranian sh- agent that's been planted uh, in, in the, in the, to, to in the destroy five pillars, to uh, destroy five pillars from within, and and, and and you know amassing a massive Sunni <laughs> following to then convert them into Shiism? Are you, are, you, are you a Trojan horse, bro? What's going no, on? No, no, nothing. I mean, look, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I'm under no illusions. There's, I'm not going to please everyone. There's yeah. some people who are never going to like me, regardless of what I say or do. Yeah. Uh, I could become a Salafi, and people are still going to hate on me. Uh, for example, you can't please everyone, right? The fact is, do I regret my past? No, I do not. Simply because this is the journey which Allah put me on for a reason. Absolutely. And do I feel like uh, it's been a massive learning experience? Absolutely. Uh, Do I have regrets? Yes, I do. 
about some things I've said and this and that. I would change it if I went back. But the fact of the matter is it's happened now. You can't change it. And I think that Allah guides you as he wills, you know. And I think that everything that I did before has led me to where I am now for a reason. And I think that, you know, you, you say things at the time and that's how social media works, right? You, you tweet uh, a reaction which you then later regret and you wish you never said it. But that's me. I am who I am. And I'm not going to change. and I'm not going to regret or hate on who I am. What I ask people to do now, especially anyone who has any doubts, is judge me not on what I did six years ago when I was a different guy back then, completely different. Judge me on the work I'm going to do now going forward. And if you see any problems, then fair enough. But I am sure that if you look at the work I've been doing over the past couple of years, if you look at the work I'm going to be doing, hopefully, inshallah, going inshallah. forward, you're going to see a kind of uh, guy who wants to bring... Uh, Muslims together, not divide them. Uh, he has no alternative agenda. The only thing I want genuinely is to empower Islam, uh, uh, to empower Muslims, to help Muslims, to help the Ummah as best I can in my own humble way. And uh, I'm good at what I do. I think I'm a, a damn good journalist, if I do say so Mashallah. myself. Uh, alhamdulillah. And uh, I'm going to use what ability I have to help people uh most importantly the muslims out there because right now we are under attack left right and center and what i don't want to be part of is a uh, fitna industry which some people engage in i want to be part of uh empowering islam to the best of my ability uh and that's my focus and i hope that will be reflected in my work and anyone who has met me as far as i know uh i think believes that i'm a genuine guy and that i love islam inshallah that's why i hope people see as me and I, I I have no reason to believe otherwise so yeah people who don't know me are going to hate on me right mm. but the way I see it is if I don't have their number in my uh, contact who, and list and people will screenshot things from years ago yeah like you know I mean I was if you think I'm the same guy I was six seven eight mm. ten years ago when I was like in my 20s uh then you don't know me you simply don't know me mm. anyone who knows me now I think realizes okay this guy you know I may not agree with him on everything but uh, he loves Islam, okay? That's what I want to put out there now. And I think, you know, I'm at the age now where I'm a lot wiser than I once was. So going forward, I hope that people will be able to judge me from now because I feel like I'm at a stage in my life where this is who I am. I've actually figured out who I am now. And alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. I want to be known as Rob the Muslim guy, Muhammad Ali, that's my Muslim name. Uh, that's what I want to be known for. And I think the biggest regret I had... Uh, back in the day was pinning my name to a particular flag, which was the, the Shiism, uh, from a young age before I even knew the difference between what, I didn't even know what a freaking sect was. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's me pinning my name to a flag and making it public and flag waving for it. I didn't even know what it was. You know, I didn't even know the difference between my uh, elbow and a hole in the ground. Do you know what I mean? So that's the, the one mistake I'd say I, I, I made, but it's all part of my journey not to Islam, because I, I finished that journey, but through Islam. I'm still on a journey, Dilly. Do you know what I mean? As we all are, bro. I'm still on a journey. As I don't know where are, I'm going to be in 10 years, but the good thing about me is I know I'm going to be Muslim, alhamdulillah. Uh, that's what I've always wanted to be, and I'm happy with that. And going forward, I now have the wisdom to just say I want to be Muslim. That's all I want. I don't want to be known as this or that, this sect, that sect. I'm about Islam and about being Muslim. That's my focus. So let's talk about the kind of... Um polished and renewed and matured Rob the Muslim. Um, you've amassed a fair amount of following online. Uh, mashallah, you've got a growing YouTube channel. I think the last time I checked it, it had passed 50K. 
Yes, exactly. What's your exactly. 56 or 57, is Something it? like that, yes, uh, exactly. Tick, TikTok, you're big as well. TikTok, yeah, about 70K. I've got millions of hits on yeah. TikTok. And it's happened in a very short space of time, right? Yeah, it has, yeah. Uh, how much of that do you do you personally feel is because you're a white convert? Uh, I think part of it is, yes, definitely. A well-spoken white convert. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there's definitely an audience for that, right? There's like an industry, a white is, industry, white convert industry. industry. Yeah, exactly. And I'm right here slogging, <laughs> trying to get to 50,000 subscribers <laughs> in 10 years. Rob comes along. The uh, white saviour of Paul Islam Williams or something. comes along, blogging theology, bloody shite Bolton comes along. You know, so I mean, we've been out here for years. You get some white guy with a beard and a Muslim name. The, 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 cra the craziest thing. Allah bless all you brothers. Yeah, the craziest thing I hear to this day, which the craziest thing I hear to this day is, "Oh, mashallah, Rob, you're better than us born Muslims." And I'm like, really? Are you sure about that? Because yeah. like, I don't think that's true. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's loads of born Muslims out there who are blatantly better than me. Maybe they mean it from the power of amassing sins as a Muslim born Muslim. And maybe I was doing. No, no, I always say that. I am always envious of a new Muslim because. You lived up to X amount of years yeah. where Allah has forgiven you, you know? Yes, and then you came yeah. to some inshallah and you came inshallah. in as a new baby. Asma, as soon as we came to our senses, we're being held accountable. Yeah, so I think yeah. from that perspective, there yes. is, there is. It's true. There, but, there's, a, um, there's a brotherly envy there. There's a few. I mean, you only have one sin can make the difference, right? One okay. big sin is the difference on between the, the heaven scales. and hell, right? Yep, I yep. suppose. So, I mean, I could uh, have converted to Islam uh, like yesterday and okay, you could say I'm clean, but then I do some nasty sin in 24 hours and then I die or something. True. Do you know what I mean? So that, that, I just true. don't like that logic. I don't like it. And I think it's based on, like you say, a bit of white privilege there, which isn't right because uh, I don't deserve it. And I think that there are many people who I see who, like you say, they become celebrities almost because of what that some videos they put on TikTok, uh, and uh, because uh, yeah, the, it's just ridiculous. How can you convert to Islam as a European, yeah. and then all of a sudden, within the space of uh, like less than a month, you're like a, a bigger hit than someone who's been doing real hard quality work, charity work, for example. I wouldn't even necessarily say it's your fault or the fault mm. of our white brothers and sisters, mainly the brothers who have come into and creating content. Yeah. It's not their fault. And it's not even their fault that if they believe they're giving dawah or they're, giving, they're providing beneficial content for the ummah, mm. that there's a wide audience for you because there happens to be some kind of complex amongst born brown yeah. Muslims or Muslims of colour, yeah? I, I don't think you yeah. guys are to blame for that. I think, if anything, yeah, I think born brown or, or people of color Muslims mm. need to understand that. Why is that? Yeah. Why is it that you show attentiveness and you lend your ears and not just your ears, you lend them everything. Yeah, when, they yeah. had that, when, when, when a white Muslim says the same message that someone of your color was saying for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What makes Robert Carter or any other mashallah tabarakallah active uh, Muslim activists, journalists, wherever it is, yeah, wherever, wherever, mm. wherever it is, whichever industry or sector you fall into, one makes th what they're producing and saying any different to the other brother who's been saying it for mm. five, ten years. And it nearly all is this, the fact that we just have a liking for white folk. Why? You know Why people are annoying, man? That's how I see it. I think I, I, I think it's to do with... I think white people are really irritating. I, I think it's a power complex. <laughs> I, th I think it's the fact that uh, the vast majority of Muslims in the Western world are of immigrant descent. Right, uh, white folk aren't the majority. White mm. converts aren't the majority. The majority are people either from Asia or Africa, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. or of that descent. And naturally, we know that there is a civilizational reality in the sense that the Western Hemisphere, led by the five permanent security members and all the other global institutions that hold the world as it is as we know it today, 
are white folk, mm. are white Westerners. Mm. So when they see a white Westerner come become Muslim, it's like a bit of a win for us. But it's a win that becomes quite cringe because now I'm being honest with you. Mm. That's that's the perceptiveness is that a white person has become Muslim. This is someone who's widely seen as a kafir. Right, mm. and these are the powerful and most desirable people. Yeah. They're the ones who ha are from the most civilized countries, uh, civilized economies. But you know those perceptions exist, mm. right? Mm. They become Muslim. Wow, yeah, that's yeah, a win yeah. for us. Yeah, Let's yeah. show the world that we have another white Muslim in the bag, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, 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 and I, I think, know. But I also understand the fact that if, from a dawa context, a white convert who's producing analysis, dawa journalism, whatever it is is more effective for for a wider audience to listen to yeah then there is a there is a clear benefit for islam and dawah there yeah but what so. i'm talking about is the pace at which uh white contributors to the dawah and activism grow yeah. much quicker yeah. than let's say someone who's a born muslim of brown or black heritage yeah and i just think that you know we have to be careful because there are a lot of um i don't know it's very hard to discuss this issue because obviously if someone embraces islam you should be patient with them Absolutely. and um, give them a chance. They might not be perfect from the get-go. You have to give them time and, you know, accommodate them and that type of thing. But I just feel like there's a danger here, especially with the social media age we live in, where maybe some people, they, they, they appear to be embracing Islam. But then if you look at how they behave on social media, you wonder... Are you are you actually embracing Islam or are you just doing it for views? I don't know and I can't help but doubt it. And because the thing is, like I said, I'm a black and white kind of guy. You either do it or you don't. And Islam's no joke. The way I embraced Islam, I took it so serious and it was such a big deal for me that if I see someone online who's going around on their TikTok or whatever saying, you know, I'm a Muslim and giving the whole Assalamu Alaikum, Mashallah and all this and that. And then they're doing videos, like there's some guy, I won't name names, but he dresses like a woman in his videos for laughs and kicks. And he's doing like Muslim comedy videos on TikTok and he's dressing like a, yeah, white a woman, white convert. And I'm like, you do realize that that's haram, right? To dress like a woman and, and I just don't understand like yeah. how can you say you've embraced Islam seriously okay. I, I'm, I know I'm going to really annoy people with this because I shouldn't be saying it like this No, but, but this I, is, I'm, be my I, I'm critical of other converts because I am one I'm a white convert yeah, myself yeah. so I feel like I can say it yeah. <laughs> if I can if that makes sense yeah. but I just feel like come on dude like what the, what the hell is that okay what the heck is that so are you saying that there is an element of knowing that there is a market out there of there is some bazillions of like I ever had yeah. of, of brown born Muslims or black like of color born Muslims yeah. who gravitate and, and and consume the content of of white converts. Yeah, I'm worried about it. I don't know because like I haven't like researched this, so I might be talking about I might be talking and it's wrong what I'm saying. I think uh, it'd be fair to say that I fear it. I fear that, and I see things online I don't like, yeah. and it worries me inside. And I know as a Muslim you're supposed to be patient and bear with yeah. them, and you should give them the benefit of the doubt. These are all important parts of Islam, right? But there's a part of me that worries about it. Yes. I would say to brothers and sisters of different generations that are born Muslims are of 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 color heritage. So I'm talking about if you're if you're non-Caucasian, right? Um, I think there is so many complexities as to why that why we have seen what we've observed and, and people know it's like an unsaid thing now, but everyone knows mm. there is there's an element of white privilege within the Muslim community in terms of common, but there's also a lot of hardship they face as well. Mm. It'd be unfair to say that they don't face hardship as white converse as well when it comes to yeah. marriage, when it comes to always being questioned, yeah. in terms of how you aspire, you are plan. Um, yeah. Abdurrahim Green once said that to me. He goes, he goes, Yeah, it's all good and well, but it's also you have to explain yourself why you're not a plant or a spy or an agent. I got, right? I got a bit of that, yeah. yeah? 
Yeah, he, he, got that. he got that's also a given. Yeah. yeah, he goes, as much as the white man is desired, but no one wants to give us their daughters, yeah? yeah. So he goes, look, it's a, he goes, it's a cash 22 double-edged sword. Yeah, he goes, yes, there's privilege, but there's also underprivilege as well, where we're yeah. seeing, you know, we're also demarcated by our past, yeah. right? And and that there's that there's always a a fear that they could go back to that past. And he goes, look, white Muslims also have it hard as well. But what I'm saying is, I, I think it's for born brown and black Muslims who have a gravitation towards consuming content from uh, white convert um, uh, content creators. If it, it, you can't deny that there's a, there's a history a historical complex there. Mm. Uh, and there's just the living reality of the fact that we live as minorities, mm. you know, in, in a white man's world, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and naturally, whoever is the powerful and the influential of the time, you want to imitate them or you want to mm. be close mm. to them. Mm. And I think anyone who denies that is lying. Yeah. Um, whether it's whether it's the white Western man today, yeah. or, or 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 the or the or the uh, Arab Muslim more back in the day, yeah, or yeah. the African king centuries ago, whoever holds the power dynamics of society, yeah. and especially in a globalized world, you kind of want to imitate them. You want to seek closeness to them. And when you when you're when you're a victimized and dehumanized community, and you get someone from the other side to convert it is a massive win because mm. it's kind of flexing that look yeah. for decades you've dehumanized us you for for decades you've and by you i'm talking about the powers that be the echelons of power the yeah, yeah. The, the, the the corporate media the 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 the, 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 the warmongers and everyone yeah you've you, you've you've uh, witch hunted islam and muslims yes. you've, you've 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 misrepresented the faith you've bastardized concepts that are that are um, divine and very dear to us yes. yet we have white people accepting Islam and there you have it. Yeah, and yeah, here's yeah. our Robert Carter and here's <laughs> our uh, Paul Williams and here's yeah. our Shahid Bolsons and here you go, have it. Here's our Alderahim Greens, here's our Yusuf Estes and yeah, yeah, here yeah. you go. And I, and I think, I know, I know there's, there's a whole variety of names I've mentioned there, but I'm saying you still kind of falls within that broad umbrella of white converts. Mm. Sister Lauren Booth and Yvonne Ridley and others have also experienced the same thing. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. your fault. It's yeah. not their fault. There's a, there's a context to it. But that said, have you ever thought to yourself, I've grown or I'm amassing a following more so because of that reality as mm. opposed to the quality of my content? Maybe. Not that I'm running um, your content, by the way. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your content. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, maybe initially. Um, and I think, you know, like, for example, uh, I, I've done well when I've done interviews about uh, my journey to Islam story, for example. Suddenly I see a little boost in uh, subscriptions because people are like following this new convert or whatever that they found online. So yeah, definitely I've benefited from that to a degree. But uh, for example, I know that I personally am doing something a little bit better because uh, like I've done stories which are exclusives, Absolutely. which I put out there on YouTube and I've got a following from that. And you've done stories so, five pillars exclusives. Exactly. So one thing about me personally that I've tried to do is be more than that because I know that I could be just that. Is that really contributing towards uh, the 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 ummah? Not really. You know, uh, I want to do something more because I know how much I benefited from the Muslim community that's welcomed me in with open arms, even if I don't deserve it. And how kind and uh, hospitable uh, the Muslims are in general, especially to new converts. I've always wanted to give something back. I know I should, and uh, I found a way, alhamdulillah, to do that. I think. 
Um, and inshallah, I'm going to do the best I can, inshallah. including put my neck on the line if I have to. If I have to talk about something controversial like this LGBTQ+, plus whatever else, alphabet, mafia, propaganda, and indoctrination of our kids in school, even if that gets me in big heat here, which it will do, I'm sure, I'm going to do it because do you know what? I'm going to do something good and pay back that way, even if it means that I have to take a hit. Because if I'm going to amass that following because I'm white, fair enough. But then what am I going to do with it? Am I just going to make stupid TikTok videos where I'm dressed uh, wearing a hijab or something stupid like some of these other mm. guys do? Or am I going to do something meaningful that actually tries to do like a, a jihad in my way? You know, to fight back against the enemies of Islam, mm. to do a bit of d proper dawah, to uh, expose corruption and Islamophobia, to platform Muslims who are uh, victims of an injustice somehow, something like that. This is what I want to try and do with my platform. Sure. So, okay, you could say I benefited from it because I'm white. That's not great. There are issues with that. But what matters is what are you going to do now with it? And I hope, inshallah, I will be able to do something positive. And I think if you look at the content, like recently, the Quran burnings yes. and stuff like that. Some I've fantastic. Been, I, yeah, I've been doing some stuff there. The Qatar World yep. Cup, where there was a lot of anti-Arab racism. Yep. I was doing stuff there, which I think was of benefit. Absolutely. And I think, like you say, I'm white, I'm English. White and English people, non-Muslims, watch my content sometimes and they don't like what they hear sometimes, but at least I'm getting the message out there to them as well. And, sometime, and sometimes it's easier, uh, in fact, not sometimes, many times it's easier to hear it from your own. Yes. As in, if someone who looks like you, is culturally like you, is yeah. now telling you some home truths, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's easier to digest than someone who is seen as foreign and strange. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. These are just human complexities and realities we have to just accept, bro. Yeah. Um, I just want to say just a short disclaimer. I mentioned some names of uh, white du'at and, and commentators and content creators and uh, some who haven't mentioned. Those people that I've mentioned, mashallah, they've done great work, great contributions, uh, irrespective of my differences with them uh, and my many agreements with them. I believe that white convert Muslims, mashallah, tabarakallah, especially in the last 15, 20 years, have contributed immensely mm. um, to the da'wah and activism yeah. and, and to deny that uh, yeah. is to be denying reality. That said, I think racial dynamics between the Ummah will always exist. Mm. Whether it's between the white convert and the rest of the Ummah, the way the rest of the Ummah deals with black Muslims, yeah. then you've even got dramas between your Kurds and your Turks and your Berbers and your North Africa. There's yeah. always going to be racial dynamics and sadly Asabian elements of racism and complexities that exist. Yeah, we see it. We see it on a local level. We'll see it on 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 a far wider scale in terms of the Khalij and South Asia and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But bringing the podcast to a close, and I save this topic to last, and that is your relationship with Five Pillars. Now I got to know you via Roshan, and this is the second or third time we've met, but this is the first time we've actually spent proper time with each other. Um, tell me about your relationship, not with Roshan, but with Five Pillars. I know you you, you came to, you did start doing work for Five Pillars on a freelance basis and really helping us out in times where we really needed him. Allah bless you, bro. I mean, um, but tell us about your relationship, your views, your thoughts of Five Pillars as a publication. Uh, fantastic platform which uh, we desperately need as uh, as an ummah as a Muslim community not just here in the UK by the way but globally uh, I've always been impressed with it and I've enjoyed uh, being a viewer a reader of your stuff uh, and I obviously knew Roshan from elsewhere when I was working with Press TV and so on so uh, I think in uh, Roshan very quickly realized okay there's someone here with talent who we kind of need 
And when push came to shove, uh, he reached out and asked for favors and I was willing to do it because this was a fantastic platform. Uh, I've always just felt lucky to be included in any way at all. Um, even though it's been behind the scenes and just favors here and there, freelance stuff. But the opportunity now to come on board full time and really get involved and try to make this a even bigger success than it already is. That's like dream come true. Alhamdulillah. I'm really prayed for this day to be honest with you and alhamdulillah Allah has uh, guided me here so uh, I just hope that I can live up to expectations and do well because the reason five pillars is so unique and important is because it's non-state backed it's a grassroots Muslim organization which is uh, out to do little more than to empower Islam which is what I want to be about as well and it's out there genuinely to find the truth reporting truth from a, a, a proper journalistic standard something which the Muslim world is really weak on mm. really weak on you know we have Muslim Dawah uh, which is fantastic it's the best of the best we have uh, uh, scholars and stuff which are uh, really well educated and we're strong in so many areas but journalism not so much we have media platforms from the Muslim world. Many of them are state-backed. Many of them are, uh, uh, therefore have their hands tied on many issues, which Five Pillars isn't. And even then, other competitors of Five Pillars don't really exist. I can't think of any big names. Who are the big names that compete with Five Pillars directly? I, I've, I've always said that there are other uh, publications that are producing fantastic work. Um, they're creating content that's definitely reaching wider audiences, but it's not journalism. Yes, exactly. So, so I would always give respect, kudos. I support them. I donate to them. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. We're brothers in arms of these other publications that exist, but they themselves will admit we don't we we don't do what you do, and we yeah. can't do what you do. Let's get real here, Diddy, because the thing is, this is really important. This issue, you know, uh, we need to value journalism, and we need to value the work the Five Pillars does. Who produces these exclusives? How many stories out there which went viral because Five Pillars put it out there? No one else would even have known about it. There are multiple stories which multiple. Five Pillars are doing. Documentary work now from India, yep. for example. Absolutely. We're talking about things that the mainstream media either ignores or actually takes an anti-Islam stance when it covers the story. Mm. Five Pillars is there and always will be there to hit back against this anti-Islam narrative, which is not just in the, uh, the Western world, but it's it's across the globe. Even in the Muslim world, you find uh, anti-Islam positions from governments or states or uh, propaganda platforms or whatever, normalization, which is spreading across the world, yeah. things like that. So Five Pillars is really important and it's unique in that sense. And I hope that I can live up to the strong standard of journalism and stuff because we have to be credible at the same time. If we're just copying and pasting stuff and sharing stories that aren't true and conspiracies and this and that, then obviously we're actually doing harm to ourselves. Mm. We need Muslims like you and Roshan and uh, inshallah will be me as well that have credibility, that are finding stories based on fact, that we're getting out there making a real impact. And I can see Five Pillars is making that impact and it's doing a fantastic job. And you only have to look at the haters of Five Pillars, mm. the ones who want to shut you mm. down yeah. to know just how good and successful Five Pillars actually is. One of the things that you're going to have to deal with, and I believe you've already experienced this a little bit, but I think it, it may decrease or increase, is the intra-perceptions of Five Pillars in the Muslim community. Now, there are... Tens and th let, let's talk about our primary audience. The primary audience for the for five pillars is British Muslims, right? And then obviously you can branch out to European. Our second mm. biggest audience is in the United States, no, okay. and then there's France, and there's other. And then we have readers, of course, of course, from the Muslim majority world who, who follow English uh, language media. 
but you're going to have to deal with the dramas and the perceptions of five pillars within the Muslim community. And that is irrespective of the qualifications of the editors and the editorial board, irrespective of their experience in uh, mainstream journalism or regional journalism, irrespective of the fact that they are regulated by independent body, that their reporters are trade union members, that they've been graded whatever by NewsGuard. Let's put all of those things aside, which we're not denying. The fact that we've never, ever, ever in 10 years lost a lawsuit, right? Let's put all of that aside. They are tabloid, sensationalist, divisive, polemicist, um, Sunni Nutters. <laughs> These lot are here. They, we, what we have here, putting aside all their credentials and the facts. I had to put the facts aside because those are the facts that people very easily omit. That who we are, what we are on paper, what we've been through and done to get here, and how the organization and it's most importantly the content is regulated and seen and perceived. Mm-hmm. That's how. That's what our haters and critics. And who are sincere Muslims, many think yeah, this yeah. of us. You guys are tabloid-esque, you're sensationalists, you're hit jobs. In fact, you guys are the media version of the Dow Bros. That's what you guys are. You guys are basically the media version yeah. of the same issue that we have on the YouTube Dow scene. You're going to have to deal with those yeah. with, with those issues. How, how much of what I've just said do you are already aware exists about Five Pillars and how much of it is new stuff that you're gonna have to deal with that's what i like five pillars man it's all that <laughs> stuff uh, come on man we're not boring five pillars is entertaining and uh, actually does good quality work that's why people hate on us sometimes uh, that's what i've noticed at least uh, i mean come on what what would you rather five pillars be boring and uh, droning and you know rambling on about things that no one wants to read about no five pillars is at the forefront of everything in the community do you know what i mean and it, it's controversial sometimes it gets involved there are opinions here which people are going to disagree agree with that's because five pillars is a place where the action is do you know mm. what i mean and you've got to be like that now you actually want to produce content that people want to watch that want to read do you know what i mean and i think that i i dare say many of those critics who might say that they probably have a small or insignificant following or mm. struggle mm. to get an audience they might be good people that have something good to say okay but they probably struggle to get their message out there five pillars doesn't and if you want to be where the action is you've got to be on the blood brothers podcast you've got to be on five pillars uh inshallah we've got a brand new show coming out me tell and, us a bit uh, about Rachel. the show we'll yeah we've got a show coming show. out that's uh it, it's uh it's something new it's something which we're hoping will be really successful it's something which roshan has been doing already uh, the big picture yeah uh, and basically it's a show which needed a bit more energy to it i think it was very successful but uh it could have achieved a lot more would the production now, be better production needs to be much better so we've got a brand new show we're still brainstorming uh, about what the title's going to be but it's like uh, the big picture uh, like the the adaptation of that okay. show the evolution of that show and it's going to be decent it's going to be full of opinion we're going to be covering all of the most uh, relevant current affairs and news stories there'll be politics in there religious opinion uh, there'll be debates me and Roshan like you and Roshan don't agree on everything and we're uh, outspoken and we're happy to give each other a hard time you're on my you know. side on the Aya Sophia debate weren't you yeah 100% <laughs> Roshan was dead wrong and I think he definitely agrees on that now <laughs> anyone who didn't support the conversion or reconversion of the Hagia Sophia yeah. into a grand masjid I think there's something that, wrong with you that was, that was the first time I thought are you actually moving like a liberal Russian what's wrong with you <laughs> exactly I think he regrets that yeah. big time now 
I mean, I want every church to be a mosque. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everyone. And there's uh, many uh, churches here becoming mosques, alhamdulillah, and I hope it continues that way. Mm. So I know Roshan's wrong there. But no, we're, we have plenty of opinion. It's going to be one of, it's like we're, we're hoping to achieve success uh, as close to the Blood Brothers podcast we possibly nah, can. We're, that, trying to, we're trying to catch up. But yeah, that's, that, that's another great place where we're going to be reacting. And it's all part of making five pillars more able to make that impact to get out there to get the message out there because deep down i know that what you guys have been doing uh is very sincere and is very important and uh the message the bottom line message of five pillars is to empower and spread islam and that's what we're, we need to do but we have to, you're not going to do it if it's not entertaining mm. if it's a dead platform then it's going to die early you know what i mean my last question to you bring the podcast to a close my last question to you is you're joining five pillars um very soon um, an organization that's been around for 10 years, um, broken insane stories in that period, um, seen, seen set and experienced various attempts at censorship, whether it be in social media, whether it be returning funds that were given to us because of our position on the LGBT, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be mentioned uh, every other time by the latest New York on research, my report, whether it be Sarah Khan, whether it be the Henry Jackson Society, the Tony Blair Foundation, you're joining what essentially is a, a staple institution of the British Muslim or, or, or Western Muslim uh, um, ecosystem, right? It has it has its many pros and it's had its many instances of dramas in the past as well. My last question to you is, what obstacles do you see, if any, of this transition from where you were to this new organisation? Because even in terms of where you were and this new organization, there is clear differences. Mm. It's something which Roshan grappled with for some years. Alhamdulillah, he got over it yeah. and, and, and managed it. What obstacles do you see in this transition over to Five Pillars? Uh, obstacles, I suppose. Uh... What issues? Maybe obstacles are a bit too strong. Yeah. Any, 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 any issues that you may face? What do you foresee? Where, where, where do you see that something may come up which you may have to deal with that may not be entirely positive? Uh, I think all of the people uh, that know me from before, uh, I used to be in circles where people would criticise Five Pillars to me. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? And I think they... Uh, they kind of knew that I knew the Five Pillars guys quite well. Okay. And so they would use me as a, a way to like send criticism to Five Pillars uh, as if like I was like a, some kind of like spokesperson okay. or something for the group. So I think that all those people who thought that oh, we'll use Rob to uh, send some shots towards Five Pillars because we hate their coverage. There's many people uh, that exist like that, by the way. So they'll, yeah, have, an, know, they'll, yeah. have, an, they'll have an ambassador I know. who will come convey whatever they need to convey to me and Russian and others. And it's Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. And all those people, I think they're going to be shocked to find out that I'm on this podcast okay. and I'm announcing that I'm okay. joining Five Pillars okay. officially. So uh, I think I'm going to get a lot of heat from those people. And yeah, I think, you know, some people might, uh, like we've discussed today, bring up things from the past, uh, question, I don't know, my sincerity. But it's like I said, I can't change who I am. You're either going to like me or you're not. Yeah. Uh, I am who I am. Do you think the people are going to like you? I, do you do yeah, this new audience? I, so. <laughs> so I, I, think, think, I think there's an overlap in the audience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, basically, you should never try to get everyone to like you because you're <laughs> guaranteed to fail. Okay. So if you aim to annoy people, yeah. then that's a success, right? Okay, so right. I'm going to try and wind up the right people. I'm going to try and annoy sure. the right people. That's what my ambition is. 
And I think that Five Pillars already does that very, very well. Mm. Uh, so come on, like, you know, I don't want to please everyone. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if anyone uh, doesn't like me, you know, so what? It, Allah is the only one fit to be my judge. So yeah. I'm just going to be me, either like me or not. You know where I am on social media. If you want to have it out, I'm here. I'm ready. So where are you on social media? Uh, I'm on uh, X. Yeah. I'm big on X. I like X a lot. YouTube. YouTube's like where everyone's like nice on there because they like my videos and they say, X oh my. X is wild, isn't it? X is wild, X yeah. Is if you want to have it out, yeah. like The uh, war is, the, the battlefield is <laughs> in X. If you want to do a Mohammed hijab and challenge me to a legal fist fight <laughs> as he likes to do, then uh, hit me up on X. X is where it? it's yeah. happening, yeah. X is where it is. Whereas YouTube is where all the mashallahs are happening, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly. TikTok, what's TikTok like? Uh, TikTok, um, again, TikTok it's algorithms like, are wild. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a bit like X, but the video version, uh, but it's, it's very, censorship orientated so quite often videos will get taken down anything controversial in the slice gets taken down it's a it's a kiddies platform where you know if you're twerking it goes viral easily if you want to say something meaningful yeah. you know guide people towards the, the right way yeah. then it gets uh, shut down really easily so unfortunately tiktok i'm at, I'm, I'm on there but if you want to hit me up you want to have it out hit me up on X that's the main place to be do you think we can do you think five pillars would benefit a bit from your white privilege because it's not worked with Russian and he's half white <laughs> he's, you yeah. know, that's, it's not worked with Russian <laughs> you have to be likable as well yeah. isn't it? like Russian bless him it's, uh, yeah but I, I would say I hope so I will be um, sharing five pillars content I mean five pillars is doing well on its own it doesn't need me it doesn't mm. need anyone else inshallah Allah is uh, gonna make five pillars a big Inshallah, success because I, I hope that uh, Allah will continue to reward you guys for the work I mean, you've been doing and Inshallah I really hope that I wish you all the best but now I think is the time where we're gonna see five pillars reaching new heights Inshallah. this is the is momentum we that we're building we have the momentum we have some fantastic stuff coming out of India now documentary work Absolutely. I know is big on the agenda and I think that's the future so yeah if you want to be where the action is get to five pillars Inshallah and if you don't like it then at least you know this is where the opinion is. And if you do, if you have something to say, put it in the comment section. That's where the action is. So inshallah, just support Five Pillars because whether you like them or not, I don't think anyone can doubt the sincerity and the fact that it's, uh, uh, Five Pillars is standing up for Islam one way or another. Jazakallah khair, Robert. It was an absolute pleasure having you on, my brother. This conversation was well overdue. And I think people are going to see more of you and I on camera, inshallah ta'ala, in, in, in the coming months and, and the year ahead. But bro, it's an absolute pleasure, honestly. Inshallah. Thank you very much. If I said anything that made you feel a bit awkward, do forgive your brother. No, that's fine. You know me, I'm uh, I'm an open book, so I'm happy to, yeah. And, and, I know anyone who's in any doubt about me, Dilly's going to hold me to account. Yeah, no, Dilly doesn't let anyone wiggle away from anything. So uh, just put it that way. Dilly is like our regulator as yeah. well, yeah. And I, and I say this to people that if, if, you, if you ever think that I'm soft on people on camera, then stuff's happening off camera. So I've had it a few times where people are like, bro, you've taken it easy on, 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 on X, Y, but sometimes you don't have the conversations that take place behind camera because it's not all about grilling people on camera. Dilly's a jujitsu master now, right? No, yeah. You're oh, a sensei, jujitsu sensei. Yes. Oh, so if, I, if there's any funny business going not on here, all. I'm going to get headlocked and dropped nah, to the floor nah, nah, nah. like in no time. So nah. don't worry about it. Dilly is on it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my blue belt, bro. <laughs> but anyway, look, from me, uh, I just wanted to say that I'm really excited the fact that you're joining. I think it was only a matter of time. Um, it was something that actually made the awful. You know, trusting someone to join an organization like Five Pillars with the kind of controversy and the issues that we cover. You know, many a people have tried 
joining and you know they weren't right uh we felt that they could have been plants there were trust issues there were competency issues mm. the fact that people just didn't want to do the hard work they just wanted to become famous and and, and, and just wanted a name out there as opposed to doing the hard graft as if for five six seven years me and roshan we and many of our contributors and others that worked for us sacrificed hours unpaid mm. to get to where we are today but i just want to let you know brother i'm excited to have you on board and i'm really excited for the new show and all the other stuff that you're going to be doing for five pillars, bro. Inshallah, me too. Yeah, I'm very excited. This is a great opportunity and it's like a dream come true. Alhamdulillah. Sakhlaq bro. Brothers and sisters, I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed today's episode and got to know Robert Carter as much as I did today. And I'm going to do so in the months ahead. I hope the many questions you had pertaining to the mystery man, Robert Muhammad Ali Carter, was answered. He is a brother who will be more accessible. Um, more than he currently is when he joins five pillars i'm really excited to see his show if you want to catch up with all the episodes do remember you can find the show on all the major audio platforms and if you're viewing via youtube don't forget to click subscribe to the five pillars youtube channel and until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh